Uh, I want to thank Dr. Holmes and the seminary for having me this morning. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to being with you guys and, and uh, being able to, to teach from God's Word and uh, to have the opportunity to, to speak on biblical counseling in a little bit. Um, I've been the pastor of Heritage since uh, 2012, and uh, it's uh, far from what you may think. It's not been the easiest road. <laughs> Um, life is hard as a pastor, and most of you, many of you are pastors, you're, you're involved in ministry, you know it's not an easy thing. Um, and we sing songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus, and boy, if we would just remember that, wouldn't that be great? In that hard day, we just go to the Lord in prayer, and everything would be just fine and dandy, and we'd just jump up and go after it again. But as people, as humans, sometimes we get a little weak, and we get a little weary. And, and we can become forgetful, even as church leaders, that God's still on the throne, that God still has a plan. And before you think, man, why on earth would they ask this guy to come speak? He, he apparently isn't doing very good. No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> but listen, I, I want to talk to you today about comfort in discouragement because everybody faces discouragement. And, and when we think about uh, counseling, and, and if, if you would just indulge for a second, I believe that that preaching ministry is counseling as well. It's just counseling an entire group of people uh, as, as opposed to just a one-on-one -on -one intimate conversation with people. But we, we, we are surrounded by people who are discouraged. I mean, look at the scene we're in right now in our country. There's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. And anxiety about what tomorrow will bring. If, if, if loved ones will even make it to the next week. And then you add on to that all the social issues, the economic issues, all the, all the other nonsense going on. And it can get really discouraging. Before we think this is a 21st century problem, uh, an American problem, what Dr. Holmes read in our passage this morning points out that Paul and the early Apostles and disciples face some discouragement as well. They face severe trials as well. In fact, we find from the history of incredible great pastors and preachers and leaders of the church statements like this. I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Charles Spurgeon. The incredible man of God. God used him in mighty ways. And the man battled severe depression much of his life. Or perhaps one that many called the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world, Dr. John Henry Jowett. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. Those guys should have never struggled, right? I mean, they were incredible men of God as well as many others. And yet, discouragement we know is no respecter of persons. It comes at us all. Paul, in our passage here, there was a way to have escaped this, right? Just turn away and go in your own direction. Go do your own thing. That's what the world would tell us. 
Except Paul realized he had a call on his life by God. He couldn't just run. He couldn't just leave. I'll share just a little bit of testimony. I told you that it hadn't been the easiest road as I became pastor. Uh, the, the former pastor had been there 10 years. And uh, as he left, so did a mass of people. Um, I had just a few weeks into the pastorate. Um, one of our deacons came up to me and told me, uh, I need to talk to you, and I didn't vote for you. <laughs> it's not exactly encouraging. Right there on Sunday after, right after church, right? Hey, I didn't vote for you. But you know, it was incredible. He said, he said, I thought you were too young. I didn't think you could, you could handle what was, what was going to be put on your plate. He said, I was wrong. He said, I am in your corner, and let's fight. Let's go. Right? That was amazing to have somebody come and tell you that. <laughs> Not something you would ever expect. And you know, along the way, you see people leave, and you don't see people come. And every week, you wonder who might be gone the next week. Maybe you're, maybe you're facing some of that right now. Let me just encourage you to hold fast to God's Word. Stay strong in what God's called you to do. Don't get discouraged when Dr. Helwig's test isn't being canceled by the October 7th <laughs> seminar. I was really rooting for you guys on that. Don't lose heart in when, when the class gets tough, when times are difficult, when life seems chaotic because God has a plan. And I want to talk to you real quickly this morning. I'm told I have about 30 minutes. I'll do my best. Three things, three simple reminders that Paul gives us here as we consider the troubles and discouragements that we face in life. Of course, he introduces there, verses 1 and 2, his normal salutation, and, and uh, we're just going to kind of breeze past that to verse 3. One of the first things we can do when we face trials and discouragement is remember what God is to us. Remember who God is to us. Paul, right here in the midst of trial and trouble and struggle, just breaks out in an incredible doxology of praise to God. Notice he said he, he praises God because he's God. Blessed be the God. Blessed be God. Right? He is far beyond us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans are greater than our plans. His ways more perfect than our ways. Paul repeats these same types of things in Ephesians 1.3, praising God for what He had done in the past, right? He chose us in Christ. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.3, praising God for future blessings of this living hope. And here, Paul praising God for the present blessings. For the present God, who He is, what He's doing in the life of His children. Not only that, he praises him because he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it's because of Jesus Christ that we can be called children of God and better yet, that we can call God Father. Um, I, I have a lady in our church and she constantly talks about God as her Abba Daddy. <laughs> as her Abba Father. That, that intimate name. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Listen, when times get discouraging, we have to remember, we have a great friend in Jesus Christ. We have an advocate 
We have one who, who intercedes constantly for us. Don't lose sight of that when the day seems dark, when the way seems uncertain, and when the world around you seems chaotic. We praise God because He is the Father of mercies. The use of the word Father here, it means the, the originator of. The one in which the origin is found. He is the originator of mercies. Where Satan is the originator of the, the father of lies and they originated with him, God the Father is the one who brings mercies. His grace gives us what we don't deserve. His mercy gives us what uh, doesn't give us what we do deserve. What an incredible reminder for us. He goes on further as if that's not enough, right? That right there should snap us out of it. He also says he's the God of all comfort. The words comfort and consolation are repeated some ten times in these eleven verses. Now we have to be very careful that we don't equate comfort with sympathy. Right? Because sympathy could actually weaken us rather than strengthen us. Right? Sympathy is kind of feeling sorry for us. But to come and comfort us. See, God doesn't just pat us on the head, give us a little piece of candy and go, it's going to be okay. Rather, He puts strength in our hearts so that we face our trials and triumph over them. Now, there are times when God comforts us through His Word and the work of His Spirit. There are other times where He, he uses other people around us to comfort us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. What's that tell us? We need to be around others. Um, listen, as we get into ministry, there are a lot of times we just want to go hide off in the office. We want to get done in the pulpit. We want to get done in the classroom. We want to get done teaching. Whatever it is that we have to do ministry-wise, and we just want to go isolate. Don't do that. Don't isolate yourself. Surround yourself with godly men and women, believers who are going to encourage you. Not just pat you on the back and just go, oh, poor thing, but say, hey, listen, God's got a plan. Hey, let's praise God for all that He's done and all that He's doing and all that He still has planned to do. So we find ourselves in discouragement. We find ourselves in difficult circumstances. It's easy to look at yourself, to look at your feelings, focus on all the problems around us. But wouldn't it be a great time right now, the last 18 months? Lots of problems. Lots of trials and struggles. By the way, they have no, no viewed end in sight necessarily. They're liable to continue and probably more and more pile on top of them. But the very first step we take is to look by faith to our Lord and realize all that He's done for us. All that He is to us. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, so one of the first things we see here, right? We praise God. We remember who God is to us. Our Heavenly Father. Our Father of mercies and comfort. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him for that. Secondly then, we want to remember what He does for us. Remember what He does for us. By the way, when you get in the middle of trials, it's easy to forget all that, isn't it? I was te teaching our students in Sunday school just this past Sunday on Elijah. Just coming off of this incredible mountaintop victory, right? 
I mean, defeats all the prophets of Baal, turns the hearts of the people back to God Almighty because of what God did on that mountain. And you know this. In the next breath, right, there's that queen. And she's mad, and she's going to enact revenge. And she says, if by tomorrow your head's not on a platter, buddy, then kill me also. And what's he do? Takes off running. And as he runs, he begins to complain, right? Could I just die right now? I'm the only one left. I didn't do anything good. Nobody ever follows you, God. I'm the last one around on earth to do anything. And we look at poor Elijah and go, poor guy. How could he forget so easily? But listen, we do the same thing. <laughs> when the trial hits, man, our vision goes from seeing all the periphery and all the sufferings to about this big. I don't see anything except the problem in front of me. And it's easy for us to just lose sight. Listen, remember what God does for us. Uh, really, there are verses 8 through 11 kind of cover uh, into all of this. Right? There's, there's this first part here. He, he permits the trial to come. By the way, when you face a trial, know that it's God bringing that trial. He's allowing that trial into your life. And if you wonder why or how, well, just think back to Job. Right? We go, well, the enemy, no, but the enemy had to get permission. Right? The enemy has no power. God permits those trials to come. He allows that, that, that hard stuff to happen. We find ten basic words for suffering in the Greek language. I'm trying to be real careful because Dr. Hope is right here. He could probably correct me on all this. But the most frequently used word is this word flipsis. It means a narrowing, confining, under pressure. It's used throughout this book that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians as affliction or tribulation or trouble. It gives this idea that Paul here in these verses felt a bit hemmed in by the difficult circumstances. Right? Seeing no really easy way out. So he's left with no other way to look but at his heavenly father. In fact, verses 5 and 6 kind of key in just a little more here. And they use a different word for suffering. For just as the sufferings of Christ, there's that one there. And then he, he goes on there into the end of verse 6. Uh, that in we patiently endure the same sufferings, which we also suffer. That word there is, is a different word which was used to, of the sufferings of our own Savior. Pathema. Pathema. To, to think, why, Lord, why would you bring this to me? Why would I go through all this? Oh, it's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm hemmed in. I have no way out. He suffered like our Savior. He suffered. It wasn't an easy road. It wasn't a walk in the park for Him. He suffered greatly on our behalf. Don't lose sight of that. Remember that God is the one who allows those trials. Verse 8 then, He not only allows them, He is in control of the trials. He's in control of them. For we do not want you to be, uh, to be unaware or ignorant or uh, naive, brethren of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were uh, burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. 
Paul's weighed down heavily. It's too much to bear, but God knew how much he could bear. God knows how much you can handle. Even when you go, well, I think it's more than I can handle. No, because God knows you better than you know yourself. And in him, you can make it. In him, you can weather through the trial. And so God didn't give him too much. He gave him just enough. Just the right amount. What? To keep him pressed down, to keep his eyes on God. I love how verse 9 goes right into that, right? We're, we're pushed down. We're, we're nearly to the end, but, but it was all a part, excuse me, verse, into verse 10, right? So that we would hope in nobody else but him. We'd hope in no one else but him. Well, if, if it's just easy going, what do we start doing? We pat ourselves on the back, don't we? I've got this. In fact, I talked to one of our church members this week. They are moving. Uh, they're actually packing their truck this morning, moving to Nebraska tomorrow to take a new position in all of this. They started packing last Friday. We're going to load the truck themselves, and the very first piece of furniture that he decides to, to pack falls on him. Crushing his arm, his leg, and crushing a vertebrae in his back. Guess who's not packing a truck now? Guess who's sitting down watching everybody work and it's killing the guy? But I talked to him yesterday as we were driving, getting some things done for him. He said, you know, I've been doing pretty good. You know, it's pretty much been kind of a, a good relationship with God. You know, like, a, like an 80% I got it, 20% God's got it, and it's been working well. I'm driving thinking, oh man, you're missing this. He said, and now it's more like 20% I got it, and I got to have 80% God's hand. And I, it was a great conversation to go, no, man, I think God brought you to this spot so that you give it all to him. Let him handle the whole thing. Why? Because he had been trying to get this job lined out himself. He'd been trying to find a truck himself. He'd been trying to get his family moved himself. And now he's got nobody else to look to but God to get it done. And, and I hate it that he had to bust his body all up to get there, but sometimes God has to do that to get us out of the way, doesn't he? But that's what happened. God was in control of that. And what a great opportunity to share with this man. God's got this. In fact, I texted him on the way in this morning. Hey, don't forget you and your wife are on the same team today. Because it's going to get crazy as you move. God's in control. God's got a plan as you go through the trials and the troubles of life. In fact, he enables us to bear those trials, verse 9 tells us. He wants us to trust him. Not trust in our gifts and our abilities. Not in our talents, experience, our strength. See, just about the time you feel self-confident, that gun safe's going to fall on you too. <laughs> it's going to hit you out of nowhere. But it reminds us where Paul goes into the second chapter here and he says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because now I'm in God's strength, not my own. See, when we die to ourselves, then God's resurrection power can go to work. Dying to myself doesn't mean I idly sit by and I just am complacent with everything. No, rather I'm strengthened to go do it in God's way and in God's timing and in God's fashion. He enables me to bear the trials. Verse 10, then he moves on. God delivers us from those trials. That's the one we really want to key on. By the way, in counseling, that's the one they're going for. Can you just get to where I get out of the mess? <laughs> I'm going to bring you all the problems and all the stuff. Could you just give me the quick exit route? Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to go through anymore. Because if you, if you haven't noticed, if you've ever counseled anybody, I've yet in 12 years of counseling had anybody come in on their first meeting having a great day. 
No, they're down and out. They're done. Their marriages are wrecked. Their kids are wrecked. Their lives are wrecked. And they're saying, I don't think I can go much further. I don't think I can do much more. Could you just skip down to verse 10 and tell me where the escape plan is? But notice what he says here. God who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have our we have set our hope, and he will he will yet deliver us. He has delivered us, is delivering us, and will yet deliver us. You go, well, we're saying that that must mean that we shouldn't have any problems as believers, right? If he's delivered us, no. No, we're going to face them. We're going to face trials and troubles. We may face them more than the world around us merely because we identify with Christ. But there will come a day when He'll deliver us completely. That day will come. Don't lose sight of it. The enemy wants you to lose sight of it, but don't lose sight of that day coming. See, sometimes God delivers us from our trials, like Peter being released from prison. And there are other times when God delivers us in our trials about James being beheaded. He was delivered in that moment. He didn't get delivered out of the trial, but he got delivered in the trial. See, God's deliverance was in response to Paul's faith as well as the faith of those praying. Verse 11 he goes on into, right? That they were in prayer and they were seeking Him. Listen, when we go through trials, glorify your Heavenly Father through them. He's not doing it to crush you and beat you up and tear you to pieces. He's doing it to strengthen you for the next, the next trial to come, the next struggle to come. See, difficulties can increase our faith and strengthen our prayer life. They can draw us closer to other Christians as they share the burden with us. Difficulties can be used to glorify God. So when we find ourselves in trials, remember who God is to you and what He's done for you. And then last, quickly, remember what God does through us. Remember what He does through you. We'll go back a little bit. Not usually the normal way of preaching through a passage. I don't usually do that. But if you backed up there in verses 4, 5, or 6 and 7 in there, remember what God, what God does through us. Notice Paul says, right, that we go through trials that hopefully brings you comfort. Why? To know you're not alone when you face the trial too. And when we're comforted, hopefully it encourages you even further, right? Paul saw that what he faced wasn't just about him. Boy, it's easy to get that way. So easy. How about Psalm 73? That poor guy. Well, the one that wrote, the, the guy that wrote that psalm. Lord, surely you're good to those that love you. To your people. What's he go? But as for me, God, you've remembered everybody else except me. I have strived to live for you. I've strived to honor you. And I've nearly died trying to do it. And I look around, and the lost world is doing great. We may not think that so much right now, but the lost world seems to be doing good. They're rich, they're, they're, they're full of possessions and power and prestige. And he says, they don't even get sick. And even if they do, they, they just kind of go to sleep and pass on. It's just so peaceful for them. But here I am, one of your own, and I'm dying. Well, what's he do? About verse 17, 18, somewhere in there. He says, 
And then I stepped into the sanctuary of God. And I was reminded, oh yeah, there's a whole lot of brothers and sisters that are struggling just as well. Well, I'm not in this by myself. We're in this thing together. Paul saw all these difficulties, all these trials, not just as God beating him up, not just as I must have done something wrong and now I'm getting punished, but as an opportunity to be a blessing to other believers. You know, in, in the counseling office, that's one of my the biggest goals there is. Move somebody from their problem, how to deal with it, how to work through it, how to get right with God in it, how to grow, and then take what they've learned and pour it into somebody else. I tell my counselors all the time, God wants you to be a conduit of His grace and mercy, of His truth, not a reservoir. We're not put on this earth just to store up as much grace and mercy as we can possibly get from God, but to pass it on to others. That was Paul's vision here. God's, God's pressing us down. He's, he's, he's using trials and situations to, to, to strain us a bit, but it's all for His glory and our good. Let's be a blessing to others as we go through it. See, God has to work in us before He can work through us. It's a lot easier for us to grow in knowledge than to grow in grace. 2 Peter 3.18 Learning God's truth, getting it into our heads is one thing, but then living that truth out, that's, that's quite something else. It's, it's easy to have a ton of head knowledge about this Bible, about this precious Word, but then, then you get to live it out among your people, <laughs> among your family, among your spouse, your relatives. And, and could I just tell you that the world around us is watching us as Christians right now. They're looking to see how we respond. Beyond vaccines, beyond mandates, beyond all that stuff, they want to see how we're going to conduct our lives. Will we throw our hands up and say, oh my goodness, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go hide under a rock. Or will we, by our character, our words, and our actions, point people to Christ? Point them to the true hope we have. Because our hope is not on anything on this earth. It's not in any of that. And if you've put your hope in any of that, friend, you're, you're coming up short. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. No matter what comes, there is a victorious end for all those who are in Him. And that's what keeps us moving forward. That's what keeps us going. So as the sufferings increase, guess what? So does God's supply of grace. He uses the word abounds in here. It abounds, suggesting a picture of a river that overflows. It has moved out of its bounds. What an important thing for us to grasp. God has ample grace for every need, but He will not bestow it in advance. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We come by faith to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in that time of need. We don't get to go and say, God, could you give me some grace for the next six months? Could you just pack it on in like a time-release capsule? Then we come in that day for that time. And guess what? We come the next day for grace for that time and the next day thereafter. 
We, we find the help when we need it. And it's a timely, timely help. So could I just encourage you, if, you, if you're struggling, if, if you're in despair, maybe you know some people that are, maybe some folks in church, or, or maybe some in your own family, just down and out, struggling right now, grief-stricken by what's going on in their lives, just help them to fix their attention on God and not themselves. Point them to Jesus. You say, well, they're, they're a stronger believer than me. Well, that's okay. They need to take them to His Word. Show them. Well, go to Psalm 34. What an incredible psalm. Just, it just oozed of all this that we've talked about this morning. Help them remember what God's done for them. Help them remember what, who God is to them. Help them to remember what God is seeking to do through them. And by the way, don't forget those same truths for yourself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time. Lord, it would be easy to think that here we are at the seminary, faculty and professors, and staff, students, digging into your word regularly, studying and and uh, answering questions and preparing for tests and all of the rigors that go on around here. Father, we'd surely think nobody here would be struggling. Nobody would be in despair. Why, all the people here on this campus should just be exuding joy. Father, the truth is, we all struggle. And so God, I pray that your word would penetrate hearts again, remind us again, who You are to us as our Heavenly Father, the Father of our Savior, the Father of mercies and comfort. Help us today to be mindful of what You've done for us. Lord, as we face trials and struggles and difficulties, may we not lose sight that You're still there. You're working Your plan. And you call us to trust you. Help us in the middle of these trials not to forget that you're working through us as well. To encourage others. To lead others. To point them to you. Father, guide us in these days. Strengthen us for the road ahead. May we seek to honor and glorify you with all that we think, say, and do. Remembering that all we face in this life is for your glory and our good, Father. We ask it in Christ's name.